Welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of the West Wing, the show of dedication, hospitality, employees only, monkey, shoulder, scotch, and so much more. Today's episode is kind of a two-parter. First, I get to sit down with Dev Johnson from Employees Only. He was in town with Ezra Starr and Vance at Nickel City doing some teaching, doing some competition for Monkey Shoulder Scotch. We talk about his life, starting in acting and ending up in hospitality. It's an amazing conversation, one that I won't soon forget. And Dev and his crew from Employees Only were recently in town for a tiki takeover at the Townsend. Got to catch up. And you know what, Dev? My apologies for waiting so long to put this out. Listening back, man, this is a lovely, lovely chat. And then at the end of the episode, we talk about Vance Henderson's role and transition into the national brand ambassador for Monkey Shoulder Blended Scotch. Great chat. Always good catching up with those folks. There's lots to learn here. We talk about New York. We talk about acting. There's so many great little Easter eggs and tidbits and tips from the man himself, Dev Johnson. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Dev Johnson and Vance Henderson. Uh, you know what looks different? There's a moon tower on the corner, about, oh, know, about right? 50 feet or 100 feet from where we are. Yeah. I'm really excited about And they're actually, this morning as we were coming back from breakfast, we saw them adding the power cables to it. Yeah. So they're going to turn it on tonight for the first time. And I've never seen one lit up, so I'm really excited about it's this. It's crazy. Yeah. Folklore goes, because there's some other parts in West mm-hmm. Austin, that they were initially installed because there was a serial killer. Is that a true? I had heard just heard too? this from, yeah. uh, from Travis Tober. <laughs> he just told me that story, and I was like, Wow, that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> and then there's Days of Confused. And then there's well. also that reference, yeah. And they're climbing up. So Which I didn't actually put together until somebody pointed it out to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, I hadn't seen the movie in a while, and yeah. I forgot about, kind of forgot about that, that term or that phrase or whatever. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. So, of course, I stole it and put it in an Instagram story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's cool, man. It's just, it is yet another indication that Austin is changing profoundly. Yes. So this year over last year, probably all new faces at the level of... Some new faces in the competition, some, yeah. some, of the, some people that returned from last year, which is really cool to see them come back, that they're interested again yeah. in being involved in this, uh, in this tour with us, in this competition with Monkey Shoulder. And, and they came out to see you know, myself and Ezra, and unfortunately, Lemaire is not, John Lemaire is not here. He, ah. he uh, took ill before the trip, so um, we're missing an you know, integral part of our team, sure. but... Uh, but Vance is stepping up. We got Vance this year, which is well, great. He's, he's a good, he's a domineering force. Absolutely. You great know, showman. Physically. You know. Absolutely a great mm-hmm. showman. Are you guys more like Motley Crue or are you more like the Beatles? Ooh. I mean, I think we're probably a mixture of both. <laughs> <laughs> when we're like the Beatles, when we're like in the competition and when yeah. we're out, like uh, out at the bars and stuff when nobody's looking, we're more like Motley Crue, I think. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Certainly a Motley Crue with vast backgrounds. Yeah. vast creative differences it's a lovely group and we'll talk about more about the ultimate bartending championship here shortly but sure i was i tied all this stuff together you know i just had finished parks and rec okay binge through this whole thing one of the greatest tv comedies of all time in my opinion 
finish The Office, all these greats. Yes. So someone said, you know, you know you should watch Next. You're an Aaron Sorkin fan, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm an Aaron oh, Sorkin no. fan. Oh, man, here we go. <laughs> I started watching The West Wing. And yep. I started falling in love all over again with Martin Sheen. Great show, by the way. Great show, great yeah. writing. Aaron Sorkin really hitting his stride in terms mm-hmm. of having the space to really explore story and stuff. Well, it turns out that there's not a lot about your bartending career necessarily. Obviously, there's two main chapters, one in Venice and then Idio in New York. Yes. But there's this undercurrent of creativity and <laughs> IMD profiles of July 19th, 5-9, Deb Johnson. So, was that the big time? Um, your part. On that, the West Wing. That part was probably the the biggest time part I ever had. Yeah. You know, in that in that that side career or that small, very small uh, chapter in my life, and it felt great. It was a lot of fun to do. I get to hang with Martin and those guys. And no way. Yeah, it was really cool. Also, the really interesting part about doing that doing that role was that it, it was kind of like a double role in the episode. Uh huh. So, I was playing. It related to another another side story in, in the episode, in right, that particular okay. episode, and I was playing the character, the Secretary of State character. Um, I was playing him while he was as as a pilot in Vietnam. Yeah. So it was more like a flashback sequence for him while a, while a current uh, similar type of episode was happening with uh, the Navy SEALs that they were dropping in. Man. I think it was Navy SEALs. Yeah, they were dropping yeah. into a to an event um, in it- time. So I think it. Brought back those memories for him, yeah. and so I got to play him in the flashback. And so when I arrived on set, like all the main characters in the show, all kind of came up and looked at me and was like, "Oh, who's who's playing? You know, who's he, who's the guy playing him as a young guy?" Oh, and it was a really it was really cool. I That's got to meet all of them, and they were all very very accommodating, very nice people. Man, Mar- Martin Sheen, you know, I never thought I'd be talking about Martin Sheen, but he still loves up. I, he's a devout Catholic, but still fights for personal mm-hmm. rights and like mm-hmm. very outspoken about things. Yeah. That's, it's lovely to hear like they embraced you as, as part of that cast, you know? They did. It was, it was really warm. I was terrified, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I was terrified. I have no I've idea. I've always had a lot of respect for Martin Sheen yeah. as, a, uh, as a performer, you know? Still to this day. And, yes, still to this day. Amazing. So many of the folks in this hospitality industry, again, very rich backgrounds, a motley crew on the whole, if you will. Mm-hmm. Some of us are musicians. Some of us are playwrights. Some of us are actors. Yeah. So for you, when you were working... Was the acting always the main goal for you? Is that why you stayed in L.A. and you wanted to really make something in that space? Well, L.A. is my hometown. Okay, so you're born so and raised. Born and raised in Los Angeles. Cool. I've, I've moved quite a bit all around the city yeah. and other places, so I'm not from any particular neighborhood. But I was born in Westwood and pretty much like lived on the west side yeah. the majority of my time in Los Angeles. And uh, ever since I was a kid, I started acting. I got picked out of, I was like in line somewhere and a manager came by and was like, oh my God, you're like, you know, whatever. I yeah. want to see if I can manage you and get into this, you know? And I'm like, sounds great. Let's give it a try. Sure. So, uh, you know, I hit a lot of bumps along the road. Um, I stopped for a while in my, in my, my teens. And uh, that was pretty much the thing I thought that I was going to be doing with my life. Yeah. And I really didn't plan on, well, my, my vision of that wasn't about necessarily being like famous or anything right. like that. It was more about living a certain type of lifestyle and do something creative that I really enjoyed doing sure. and being able to live more of a creative lifestyle. Was, uh, so we could talk about creative lifestyles. Sure. Your folks, were they in the industry at all? No. No, kind of just no. doing their thing? Um, yeah, my, they do their own thing. Uh, it was just something that I really enjoyed doing. Yeah. Like, I really enjoyed being on stage and all that. And part of the reason I kind of left that side of my life was that I really got t- 
tired of the business side of it. Yeah. You know, like getting the headshots and all the meat, you know, the, those kinds of things. The, right, right. the part that you really need to be doing if you want to be successful at it. Which is not the artistic part. Which is not right? the artistic yeah. part, exactly. And that's the part that I kind of like shied away from. And so that was part of the reason why I let that part go in my life. And, and chasing that dream again became tiresome. Yeah. And I realized that I could still live a creative life, you know, and still be creative in many other ways. And not have to chase down this thing that, you know, millions of other people are chasing down in the world. Absolutely. And it's yeah. interesting because the last time I talked about acting was with fans. Mm. Last year he was sitting next to me and we'll talk yeah. to me here shortly. But I asked him the same question I'd ask you. But so as an actor that someone is pursuing this actually out there mm-hmm. in movies, in TV, who was influencing you as an actor? Whether it was when you were a kid or someone that's old school or a contemporary well, I had a lot of influences. I wouldn't say anybody in particular. Yeah. There were people that I imagined I wanted my career to be on the same similar kind of track. Right. You know? Um, but it wasn't anybody, any actors or, or writers in particular. I enjoyed, I enjoy all the movies from, from all the different genres. Yeah. Um, I go through, I always would go through phases. I would watch like tons of um, like black and white movies. Sure. You know, Casablanca and those kinds of John, things from like here to eternity. John Huston stuff, the old film noir stuff? Yeah, that stuff too. Yeah. Um, there was a phase where I was doing that. There was a phase where I'd only watch like serious, emotional, heavy movies, you know, and all this stuff. <laughs> and like, and then, and then when it's funny that when I kind of let that act, like, the, like chasing the acting go, yeah. I started just watching, watching like really cheesy movies, like nothing that's too heavy. And yeah. like, I just wanted to keep it light and easy. And that's, what, that's kind of what I've been doing, you know? But it's, it's um, that's a balance though, right? Because yeah. you've got to have that pensive, dark nature while also being outside and kind of ebullient and Absolutely. abusive and stuff. Yeah. So, to guide, typically, you know, being in the hospitality industry, it either pays your way through school, right? It pays your way through acting or music, mm-hmm. and you just did you hop into the industry because you wanted to, or just like it's a it's a good gig. It's a mixture of both, circumstantial and knowing that it'd be a good place for me to be if I wanted to have the ability to do other things with my life. Yeah, um, put me through school as well. Uh, it's a small amount of school that I went to. I did not. I never got a degree. Yeah, and when I when I approached uh, school. A university type school I approached it where I was just going to learn what I wanted to learn yeah and I know there's some structure you have to have so you have to have your general education classes etc yeah. etc et business math Ugh. right that kind of stuff and I you know I did those as well but I really just wanted to learn about things so I learned about astronomy I learned how to play the trumpet I learned about really? music theory I learned about all the things I thought were really interesting to me and I also found things that were became interesting to me that I didn't realize would be you know like I <laughs> you know, I'm gonna ask funny, you, of course. But like, what? It's well, like um, I really got into well, philosophy was what was my like official minor. Yeah, and studying philosophy gave me really interesting insights into the world, how I should, how I think about the world, um, and all these other things, right? Sure. Relating to spirituality, relating to just the connection of everything in the world. Absolutely. Um, so I became like this layman theorist in a way. So I've read like really intense books that mathematically I don't understand, but sure. the theory part I really enjoy reading about, like, like the Descartes Dao- and stuff. I've read some Descartes, yeah, yeah. Um, Nietzsche, and like that. But I also read this really interesting book called The Tao of Physics, which was a uh, came out in the seventies, written by an Indian physicist, uh-huh. um, and he grew up in India with Eastern philosophy or Eastern Eastern thought, Eastern spirituality, and he made in this book he makes a, uh, a comparison between. Eastern philosopher, Eastern spiritual thought, right? Meditation and right. those things. And the ideas that they came to about the world, about the universe. Mm-hmm. 
And he compared those two and showed that Western science is actually reaching the same point when it comes to quantum mechanics and quantum physics. So, like, you know and this is good. And please forgive me, any scientists out there who know how to talk about this better than I do. No, this is please good. forgive me, but we're all scientists here in, in, in a way. Yeah, that's right. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but in my understanding of quantum physics, quantum mechanics is that nothing's really there until you, you can't see it. Until you, it's not. You can't prove that it's there until you actually see it. Right. right? So it's not actually there until you see it which relates to the idea in Eastern philosophy and Eastern spirituality that we create what we're seeing. So those two things kind of come together, like Western science, and Eastern philosophy. In this book, he's showing how they kind of reach the same conclusions. Interesting. Which I thought was very interesting. So do, how, how do you side then, oh man, I never thought I'd be talking about this, but this whole hologram thing, that life is merely just a hologram that's a construct I mean, of your mentality. Yeah, it's yeah? interesting. And the, other, the, other, the other thing that, that really caught my mind when I was studying philosophy was that Everything that we've figured out in this world and, and with science, with maybe, you know, with astrophysics and like how we think the universe is created, right. is all based on one thing. And that one thing always seems to be an assumption. Um, so everything we're doing. I like that was is, a foregone conclusion about what that assumption is. Right. And so we, so in, in, even in natural philosophy, even Isaac Newton was doing this. Like yeah. When this is philosophy back then, what physics was called natural philosophy back then. But <clears throat> everything that they would start with was an assumption and then they'd create you know, all these different things. So, right. like, we assume the Big Bang happened. So, we can, from that point, from this assumption, we can create math that adds up to that. Or You're absolutely what right. what we have right now. We create world. a narrative based on the conclusion we create. Instead yes. of just working the process mm -hmm. and then getting mm -hmm. and achieving that truth at the and, end of it. Yeah. Right. And the fact of the matter is, we can't see how the universe started. Like, they can't see past this one, like, I think it's like 13 billion years yeah, ago so, yeah. or something like that. They, when they look back, at, in time that way through like through radio telescopes and stuff like that they hit this wall of fuzz where they just can't get past yeah at this that's where we're at now and so the assumption that the big bang is there we can't prove the big bang but we can assume the big bang is proven right by all the math and all the theory that we've created based on that assumption right? inference like, right yes inference, exactly so does the, did this shape the way that you kind of because what ends up happening is that you read something that's truly touching like that, that changes your paradigm and perhaps problem solving. Yes. And all, all of a sudden, and it interferes with your personal relationships, I've, I've found, but <laughs> you, yeah. you no longer make assumptions about stuff. You're like, let's work through this instead of you just telling me this is how it is and then right. you question everything. Yeah, that part of that as well. But it took less pressure off me and thinking that this is the absolute only way. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And that opened my mind up in a lot of ways to the possibilities of what you can what a person can create with their life that's right so and the rails are off yeah so that was really that was really helpful for me in, wow. in my world that's i mean that's a great sentiment i never thought Thanks, about man. that yeah. normally it it shaves it down and creates to be more myopic mm. mm -hmm. but you're saying no this opened everything up it opened everything up because then it's like okay well if that's just based on assumption then it's it's what we believe yeah. but it's not necessarily true wow right and and true is usually a perspective anyway. Sure. Did it give you a clearer sense of maybe uh, who you are in this universe? In some ways, it did. In some ways, it took, like I said before, it took the pressure off of yeah. me in terms of like, oh, I have to be doing this, or I have to be doing that, or this is the only way to do this. Um, it opened that up for me more than anything else. You know? I have a problem with trying to do too much, to try to establish. And my wife and I, we're not going to have kids. We made that choice. Mm -hmm. Passionate about that. Okay. Someone brought it to my attention last week that says, well, what do you keep trying to achieve? You don't have kids. And so I'm like, I don't know. And they go, you're just trying to have a legacy that outlives your death. Right. Right. 
and that's kind of yeah. crazy. Do you do you get in terms of ambition and projects and success? Do you take that into consideration at all that you also want to have a legacy that you leave? Sometimes, sometimes you know. There's I think every human being I I I'm like I, I assume yeah. every human being has this <laughs> part of them that wants to leave their print on right. the world on history and so on and so forth. Um, that's never necessarily been the main focus of what I like to do, what I'm doing with my life. What I I don't, I don't usually I usually have a pretty short term vision of what's happening yeah. in my life, and I, I'm not really sure why, but I do, and and I, I try to keep it as simple as I can. Like even when I was approaching acting, in the same way that I approach uh, what I do now, attending right. bar and doing seminars for people and stuff like that, which still to this day, when I, if I actually think about it, I'm still blown that mind blown that I'm actually <laughs> people want to hear what I have to say yeah, about this great. stuff to begin with, um, but. Really, what I really my ultimate goal when it comes to like this or anything that I do, anything that I plan to do in the future, is that I want to be good at what I do. I want to be respected by my peers and yeah. whatever field that is, but for what I do, and I don't necessarily need to be famous or extremely rich or any of those things. Um, but really, it's more about the res- like having respect and being able to stand in alongside people that I respect. Yeah, you know. People trusting you and people, I, I'm really into the people respecting me thing. Now, I don't, you, but you don't work for that. You just do it by example. You have to just do things and then, you know, that's going to fall into place, right. I think. I you think know? so too. And it's not like, oh, you need to respect me or anything like that. It's no. just that, yeah. it's that people that I look up to, if they can somehow see value in what I'm doing, that makes me feel good. Yeah. You know? I think, and that's really, in essence, one of the huge facets to this community. Yeah. Uh, the bartending community, hospitality, brands. Mm-hmm. Being behind the bar in Venice, and it's Chaya, is that what it's called? It was Chaya Venice, yeah. yeah it's still there. It's still it's there, there yeah, since look. Since 95. The, the menu looks great. It, it is. <laughs> Dude, the they open at really 5.30 if I guess we can get to flight out there. Get sushi happy hour and all that, yeah. 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 Did you find that you liked people too? Because acting can often be a solemn and very isolating. Mm-hmm. But you being in front of people behind the bar, did you enjoy those interactions too? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely enjoy the interactions most of the time with people behind the bar, you know? Um, I like making I'm I like making people happy in yeah. general. That's kind of the way I've always been in my life. I like to make people smile. I like to have a lighter, you know, light feeling. I'm not always light, sure. but I like to try to help people have a good time, help them smile. I'm trying to crack jokes all the time. Usually yeah, yeah, not yeah. that well, but but <laughs> I do my best. Welcome to my world. Or I'm joining your world. <laughs> right. Dad jokes all over the fucking yeah. place. And it's funny that when I was tending bar and acting at the same time, I kind of realized that. It's funny, I, I kind of fought, like, because I had started acting when I was young, I kind of fought in my mind being the cliche actor working in a restaurant, acting, especially in Los Angeles, sure, places. Sure. But over the course of working in the restaurants and finally getting behind the bar and engaging with people in that, in that manner, it just really felt really natural and easy for me. Yeah. And I kind of found that I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed hunting down acting roles. Not that I enjoyed it more than acting and right, studying right. characters but and the, stuff like the that. the operational process, which you're right, talking about. Right, that, yeah. that I mentioned before. Yeah. And it just felt more natural. And then I also realized I could go anywhere in the world with the, the abilities as a bartender. Sure. You know, because everybody drinks all over the world. So and th- that's th- that was a door that I kind of like opened in my mind for me. That I was like, oh, I could just do this and just do all the things I want to do anyway. Yeah. You Another know? lens of which kind of expands things open for you. Yes. Now, this I like is a common theme here. Yeah. Sci- <laughs> science and physiology or rather physics themselves mm-hmm. opens up your mind about your place in the world mm-hmm. bartending also does the same thing i do have a question that you know as actors and people that are interacting with people in very truncated fast quick 
bite-sized ways, <clears throat> is it always you that people are getting? Or do you also have to put on a role to interact with guys? You mean when I'm behind the bar? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's me and it's also is a, it's like a veil. Yeah. Right? Because we've, particularly at Employees Only, we talk a lot about, about being able to be in the situation and be out and be able to view it from the outside at the same time. Sure. That's what our, our mentors there teach us, try to teach us about one aspect of what we do. Yeah. And so it is me. And I think it's just, I think it's very similar to acting. Yeah. It's me, but I'm also the bartender and I'm also the host, you know, yeah. all those things are tied together. So it's not just dev completely. It's right. dev, the host, the dev, the, and sometimes the entertainer, you know, to make, to engage with people across the bar. Um, and so sometimes it's that. So there's, it's usually a little bit of a veil between myself and, and the, and the bartender right. persona. Well, you have to, too. I feel like if you, <laughs> did you ever listen to Smashing Pumpkins? Yes. Of course, right? Not too deep, yeah, not too much, but I, I'm But enough, right? Yeah. yeah. When they're coming, they're actually having a reunion tour. Everybody's back together. Heard, they're playing yeah. here in Austin, it's which is going to be really exciting. But Billy Corgan, after Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, kind of their bigger, biggest mm-hmm. of the records, right? He said, I've opened up too much. I'm going to reel it back now. Mm-hmm. I have to put that veil up. And then you have those subsequent records that come right. out. I feel like that keeps us safe. And do bartenders have to do that, to not dive too much, to not connect too much with the people that can be quite sad sometimes? I think that, I don't know if all bartenders have to. Yeah. Uh, for myself, I find that it's better for me to kind of keep that space between those two things. Sure. Because um, I have gone beyond that space and, and, really inter- and really become friends with my guests and stuff like that. <coughs> but it's all, that starts to remove the feeling, the starts to remove the interaction that, that's supposed to happen when a, when a guest comes to a bar. Yeah. Because bottom line is it's still business, right? And as bartenders, we're kind of illusionists and magicians in the way because, yes, we all understand that it's business, but we also want people to feel at home. We also want people to feel like it's not that way. Right. You know? So I think finding that balance is really important. Yeah, I think so you know? too. Um, somebody else I respect in the bar business talks about not becoming too getting too close to your guests because you want them to feel like a guest rather than feeling like oh we're just hanging out right right there is a dynamic there is a role there yes you know it, and that that's hard for me on the other side sometimes when i i don't have water anymore and i don't i almost feel like bad about asking this my ma- a mate of mine right like mm-hmm. need some more like water it's your friend right yeah, yeah you're right so but you shouldn't is, feel that way i shouldn't right because right. it's a job and i would do the same thing of course i Absolutely. worked retail for a long ass time i understand yeah. how it goes but <laughs> Suffice to say, but it's an interesting dynamic, and it mm-hmm. becomes nebulous sometimes. It can be a little tricky sometimes, yeah. you know, because there are people that you meet across the bar, guests of yours that you really engage with, and you know that you you would be friends with. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You could go hang out with them, or, or you know, or whatever. Yeah. So, I think that's tricky. That's a tricky uh, dynamic. Absolutely. That for me, I have to find that balance between those two things. Um, otherwise. Parts of my personality, maybe my mood, starts to come across when it shouldn't my own personal mood. Right, and right. so then, then I'm like being there. Then I'm there for my, I'm thinking in myself and thinking in my head when I really need to be there for the guest. Sure. You know? It's a selfless thing and sometimes it can be, we can get to It can be a little involved. tricky. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So the other massive chapter, you know, you spent, chapter one, if you will, or, or act two, I'll call it act two. Sure. sure why not? Yeah. <laughs> maybe first act, depending how you look at it, right? <clears throat> but you spent your whole life pursuing a career that, not, that you, you didn't abandon, 
but you built up a social network. You mm-hmm. built up some cachet as a person behind the bar with a reputation. Yes. How hard was it to leave LA to go to New York in 2006, I think? 2006, I moved to, uh, to New York City. Um, you know, it wasn't difficult to make the move. It was difficult to let go of being in LA uh-huh. and let go of that life right. in some ways, you know, because I'm pretty stubborn. Like I, like, I worked at Chaya Venice for 11 years. Wow. Right? And Unheard of, if I you start, think about it. Really, and, and it's very unusual yeah. in restaurants and bars. So I started there as a busboy. My first day was actually April 1st, April Fool's Day, yeah. 1995, <laughs> was it? 1995, yeah. yeah. And they opened in 93, my mistake. Yeah. Wow, wow. Um, and I worked my first day for free. And I kind of look back on that date as, like, kind of the universe's joke on me or, you know, April Fool's Day on me. Because, yeah. like, when I first approached it, I was like, I'm not going to be doing this when I'm 40. I was bartending with guys that were 40, and I'm yeah. like, man, there's no way I'm going to be bartending when I'm 40. <laughs> And, you know, lo and behold, here I am 20-something years later and I'm behind the bar. And I feel great about it, yeah. you know. So it's like perspective changes over time. Um, so, yeah, so 11 years at Chaya Venice, I was definitely time for me to go. Um, it's definitely time for me just to make a change in my life. Sure. And so, like, so like I said before, like, it was difficult to, to let go. But once I had made that decision, I was out. Easy. I was you, gone. You, you dedicate yourself to something and you do it. Yeah. yeah. So... It took two years, it looks like, before you hopped on to the EO Right, crew. so I had bounced around quite a bit. So going from a place like Chai, where I was there for 11 years, one job, yeah. I had about 10 jobs in the course of those two years in New York City, <laughs> which was really trippy. And it's hard, um, it, it's got to feel unnatural, maybe it's too strong of a word, but a little bit like against your nature, perhaps? Absolutely. Yeah. And, like, and one of the things I disliked so much about acting, which was like going on auditions and those things, I had to do in New York. I had to take resumes thing. and like go oh, and ask man. for jobs. And it... And it's silly in my mind. I know it's. I know it's kind of silly, but in my mind, it always felt like I was begging, and that's one thing I yeah. don't ever want to do. I don't like doing, you know. And there's been times in my life when I've had to. Sure. But it's something that I try to avoid, and that's and it's just a it's just a feeling that I put on myself more than anything else, right. you know. And so, like, for instance, one of the restaurants I applied for in New York, I walked in, and I'm like, yeah, this really probably isn't the place for me, you know, whatever. So I'm just gonna fill this thing out. I'm here. I'm gonna fill out the the uh, the questionnaire they have yeah. and turn my resume in. And one of the questions was. Yeah, is the guest always right? And I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to answer this one. They're never going to hire me. <laughs> you know, and I can just move on my way. And it's not really going to be my fault. You know? it on purpose. Like, right. I love it. So I answered it like, well, no, the guest isn't always right. And sometimes the guest needs to hear when they're wrong. And, da, da, da. and, and I'm thinking, okay, they're never going to hire me now. Right. Because right? they don't want to hear somebody that's coming to work for them have that attitude yeah. about it. And I'm like, I'm going to put that down on purpose. <laughs> no, lo and behold, like two days later, they called me in. They're like, oh. hey, we got a position for you. And I'm like, oh, man. It I'm never like, works with jury duty either, by the way. <laughs> no, oh, I haven't tried yet. I'm, I need to take care of that, actually. <laughs> so, the city's uh, mad at me right now. Uh, oh, is that, that right? Yeah. <laughs> You're not here. I don't, I don't even know where you are right now. So they can't track you. No. There's no way. Well, no, yeah. I'll just wait till no. after the summer. No, the GPS that. on my phone never gives me up. See? Good. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Or the, the pizza shots after midnight down 6th right. Street, right? Either way, either way. Yeah. What was that first introduction into EO like? So I had visited employees only a couple times. Um, so working at another bar called the Merck Bar, mm. which is actually kind of a staple in, in Soho. It was on Mercer between Prince and Houston and it had been there for 20-something years. And I, a friend of mine that I knew from L.A. was managing it. So that's how I got the position there. Yeah. And I was there for about a year. And so I had visited Employees Only a couple of times because some of the guys that worked there knew the guys from Employees Only or had worked with those guys before they opened EO. Right. And when they were working at Schiller's or Pravda, you know, in the yeah, other place yeah. they had worked. And so I'd been there a couple of times. It was cool. 
And I thought it was a good spot. The vibe was always good. It was always packed. Everybody looked like they're having a great time. And that's really, when it came to bartending, that's really the kind of place I wanted to be in. I didn't, well, I wanted to be in a club because, you know, easy. Yeah. Nights a week, you're making like, you know, lots and lots of money. Sure. Getting those numbers, hours, right? you know, but I'm not six foot, you know, I'm not a model. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but I'm not a woman. And like, I know, but sometimes it can work for us. For both sometimes it can, yeah. yeah. Um, like there was some guys that I know now who worked at places like Bed and Home, you know, I just didn't have the knowledge they had yet yeah. about spirits. And because I never thought it was going to be something that I needed to know. I just was like, I'll just bang drinks out and, you know, and I'll have something else going on in my life right, at some right. point. Um, so I started working at Employees Only. And it's funny, I didn't, I don't think I realized what Employees Only was when I first started working there. And I, I wasn't fully aware of this renaissance that was happening in cocktails. You yeah. know, I had heard like maybe four or five years earlier, like somebody came and asked me in L.A., are you a mixologist? And I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm a bartender. Um, and so over the course of the first like eight or nine months, six months of working at EO, starting at the bottom there. Yeah. Because you know, they have like the apprentice program. Is that how they yes, do it there? Yes, we have yeah. the apprenticeship program. So yeah. I started at the bottom even after 10 years of working behind the bar, which, you know, it makes sense because they're training you to work in the culture and the style that they would like us right, to work right. in there. Um, so over the course of those first six or eight months, I just started noticing things like, a guest would come in, like, yeah, I came all the way from Berlin to see this bar. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, that's great. But in my head, I'm like, that's fucking crazy. What's, what's going on here, you know? Yeah. And in the trainings that we had, I was learning stuff and reading books. And, and, it, and it made Tending Bar and what we do behind the bar viable for me in the sense that now I have an intellectual way to approach it as well. I'm right, learning right. some things. I always like to learn. I like to learn about all kinds of different things. You know, like, I do a little bit of a lot of things and I kind of piece things together in my sure. mind, and you know, and so it re-inspired me in a way in my life, and, and being at employees only, and in that situation, and learning from these guys, it made me kind of realize, like, oh wow, you know what, I can actually do this for a living, yeah. have respect for myself, respect what I'm doing, um, and and it's not just about like making drinks, make people drunk. It's actually there's actually like thought behind all this. Absolutely. You know? There's a creativity, the creative aspect to it. And there's all this history to it relevant. that I didn't have any idea about. Um, and that became, for me, that was really the thing that fired me up about doing it, about yeah. being the bartender I am today. You know? And still there. And still there. Kicking, yes. out, kicking out yeah. the jam. Well, I'm not one to like, leave places. This you know, is fair. Which that, probably, that are you're not... well and <laughs> that I've helped build and, and those kinds of things. Right. You know, so. But you're not, you're not married, right? No, not married. Which surprises me then, in that case. Because you would think that, well, well he's convinced himself over here. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. I, I, don't, <laughs> I think you I don't have, have less of a fear of commitment to work than I do to relationships. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You gotta pick one of them, right? Like, right, yeah. Yeah. My, the, my dad was married to his work for a long time. Yeah. And, the, and the other thing about employees only was that I was about two weeks away. I had been fired from the Merck Bar because, in true New York fashion, a new manager came in, wanted to hire his buddies that he knew. Yeah. And so it was it. You know, that's kind of how that New York doesn't quite work that way as much anymore, I don't think. Yeah. But at that time, it was very much like that. It was like you could have a job one day and the next day it's gone, right. especially in the restaurant industry. Man, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it like is. the Trump administration. I mean, not to be political, <laughs> sure but just is. logistically, it's right. the same logistically, thing. Logistically, for sure. And man. I was about two weeks away from moving out of New York, just kind of giving up on New York and just thinking, well, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I just need to go back to Los Angeles, go to UCLA, get a degree in history or yeah. something, and become a professor, you know, because history is another thing that I really, really enjoy learning about and, and, and stuff like that, so like, and studying. And so that's pretty much where my head was at. I was like, okay, I'm going to go on this interview at EO, 
And, you know, if it doesn't work out, then I'm going to pack my bags and move back to L.A. I'm going to go back, you know. And is, I, I figured two years was, was a good enough time. Sure. I had friends that moved out for like six months and tucked their tails, took their tail between their legs and headed back. Yeah. It's like, that's not going to be me. And I really didn't want to go back without bringing something back or having something. So I gave myself first a year. I was like, oh, God, I'll give it another year. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, two years. Um, you know, I'm 33 now. And I really need to figure out what I'm going to be doing with my life, you know? Um, if I want to have a different life than I'm having now. So, yeah. so I ended up getting the job there. You know? Serendipity. And yeah, serendipity completely. Wow. Like one of the, the door guy at the Merck Bar, he was also the door guy at Employees Only. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the best guys at the door I've ever known to work with, I've sure. ever worked with. Like, could see people down the block and just know whether they're, what state of mind they're in. It was, it was a trip. It was like almost magical wow. watching him work at the door. It was it's a trip. Anyway. So he introduced me to the guys at Employees Only. I went on my interview, you know, and, uh, and they called me in. The space opened up like a week later. They called me in. I started working with them, and here we are 10 years wow. later. Wow. Yeah. It's a magical thing. <laughs> yeah. Your almost zen-like Japanese-esque level of patience and mastery. <laughs> I wish that was actually true. <laughs> be, well, but I'm glad it appears that way <laughs> sometimes. Fooled me. It was pretty, no, yeah. this <laughs> commitment to things, mm -hmm. it seems in... Vast contrast to a lot of what is this term star tender that's kind of in this industry. Yes, yes. How do you rather, do you have a bit of advice for folks that maybe are 20, 20 years younger than you mm -hmm. that are really chomping at the bit to do everything as quickly as possible? What would you tell them? Wow, that's tricky. Um, it's a different game than it was when I got in. Like yeah. when, I, when I started bartending, and people weren't doing this stuff that I knew of, at least. Right, you know? And right. if it was happening, it was happening far and few between. And, and probably mostly in Europe, sure. you know, where <laughs> they, where they kind of kept the they kind of kept the uh, they held the flag for us. Yeah. You know, after Prohibition, you know, everything got really weird in the United States. We came to cocktails like horrible ingredients after World War II, like all these things. And and Europe kind of held the kind of held the banner yeah. for for cocktails in in a lot of ways. So <clears throat> in the United States, wasn't happening. Um, but now I would say there's all these opportunities and I, you know, you see, I see a lot of young bartenders getting it cause they're like, Oh, I want to be a famous bartender now, right. you know, or whatever. And I mean, that's almost the same as like trying to get into acting, you know, maybe on a smaller scale. You're, no, you're absolutely like, right. But you just uh, want notoriety for notoriety's sake, but the work isn't really worth it to you. Right. Not you per personally. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. Um, and I see, I see a lot of young bartenders bouncing around and trying to learn this and this. And the thing about this is that there's a couple of aspects like your palate takes time to train sure. takes time like you're not going to have a great palate in one year yeah that's no just way. the nature of it i mean the more you practice absolutely the better your palate's going to be but it takes time to develop that you know it really does and so that's one of the things i find young bartenders are struggling with whether they realize it or not is a, a palate yes and really being able to taste intricacies and in cocktails and stuff like that um and that's not true for everybody obviously yeah um i also find that they're bouncing around a lot. They want to be in the hot bar. They want to be in the cool bar. And so, like, people will see, and I'm not sure why, but yeah. I imagine it's because people will see them in the new hot bar and, and, and you know, they're part of that whole scene and they're going to get seen and, and all this stuff. And right, right. The reality is, for me at least, grinding, you know, believe it or not, yeah. um, you know, the days that you're behind the bar that you're at is really where you're going to learn all the things you need to learn about being behind a bar and working in hospitality. Mm. And I think that that part is, gets lost in the mix when it comes to making this amazing cocktail. No, you, know, you totally right. I want to be known right. for this amazing cocktail. I want to have a cocktail name, and like, mine's going to be a modern classic, you know, or whatever. And 
I was walking to work, which is about a mile from my house. I was mm-hmm. walking to work every day, and I walked through this neighborhood, and I would just do it all the time, and I would just kind of keep my head down and like, oh, I'm just going to work. I'm going. To, I kept focusing on that. But then one day I stepped back and said, you know, I'm just going to like enjoy this neighborhood. It's kind of a pretty neighborhood. There was this beautiful blue house I'd never noticed before. It's about as blue as this bench over here, bright okay. blue. Oh yeah, beautiful. And all it took was me just pull my head up, right? And then you you finally get to see this minutia and this. Yeah stuff that was really always part of the journey instead of just focused on the destination. Right. You know? And yeah. so that to your point, you you never know when that's going to serve. Right. The longer you're in one place, the more details you're going to see and yeah. the more practice you're going to get in the same place. So like, I'm not saying don't expand. I'm not saying no, don't learn not. about other things, but stick with one place for a while right. and kind of settle into that so that you can develop the skills that you want to develop yeah. along the way. And you, you can be in a place that doesn't get any necessarily notoriety because it's not really a that it's about developing your skills as a as a host yeah. behind the bar you know and so if you're bouncing around constantly thinking about oh i need to see people need to see this and it's, then you're going to miss the point absolutely you know? you're missing the details that, along that journey um and then it's very cliche now like say it's about the journey not the destination you know but it's, it is. it's really about both yeah you're, you're right time, well it's, it's a know? nice ba- everything's about balance of course right drinking and working out mm-hmm. like the journey mm-hmm. the deliverable it's all all mixed together yeah how did you get involved with William Grant and Sons and Monkey Shoulder? Oh, man. That's, <laughs> you know, it's tricky. I, a lot of things that happen, I don't really realize how they happen. They just kind of start happening. Yeah. And um, over the course of the years of being an employees only, I became friends with uh, the former uh, U.S. ambassador for Hendrix, Jim Ryan, oh, yeah, yeah. who was already a friend of the house to begin with. And we kind of clicked when I became bar manager at EO. Um, I really didn't know that many people within our industry in that way. Mm-hmm. And I went to an event once, and he was there. I already knew him. And he was there, and, and he was like, yeah, I'm going to go to this thing next, you know, so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, I've never met that person before. He's like, you know what, man, come with me. I'm going to introduce you to some people. Yeah. So he kind of, like, helped me do that. And that was the beginning of my relationship with William Grant and Sons through Jim Ryan. Yeah. And then I would do work for him. I'd do events or I'd make cocktails for him, you know, for, for Hendrix and stuff like that. And then, you know, then, of course, I met Charlotte Voise and, and, and the other people involved in William Grant. And uh, Seb came over, Seb Debremay came yeah. over from Australia to be the – ambassador to take Jim Ryan's place on Hendrix and I th- I'm not sure the details of how yeah, he switched yeah, yeah. over to Monkey Shoulder and so Seb and I had become friends at Tails one year Jim was like this is Seb he's taking my place and he's awesome look out for him and I'm like done you best know? hair in the business best hair <laughs> or worst hair in the business when you look at it <laughs> if you're in one direction but man, you know I don't want to <laughs> so I think his wife does his hair and I don't yeah, know she does no offense <laughs> I'm really just teasing Seb more than anything else oh it's got to yeah, Frenchies, man. Oh, she's amazing. We we got to hang out uh, last year on the tour in Chicago. And oh, she's, cool, man. So cool. The both yeah, he's, of them. He's, they're um, lovely, lovely folks. And so that's kind of you know it's kind of happens like little pieces along the way, yeah. you know. And I think when a bartender and this kind of ties back into what I was saying about staying in one place for a while, it shows consistency. And sure. people that want to work with you are going to want to work with somebody that's consistent. Right. They can, in a way, it's a sense of trust, you know, which is they paramount can, for a big brand. Absolutely. Big money means I get to put you out on the company's dime. Don't screw it up. Right. Be responsible. Mm-hmm. Be a role model. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, too. We talk about if you just keep looking at the destination, if you keep hopping around, you're going to miss those small conversations. You definitely. You're yeah. going to miss the opportunity. And, and you know, and then, and then people in the brand, they're going to notice that you're bouncing around, too. Yes. You know? And it's not... You know, it's not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, right. but if it's working for you, it's working for you. Sure. You know, that's all You date matters. around. I mean that in a way, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a weird thing. Yeah, but it's really it's really more important to develop the different techniques than it is developing your different your resume in that way with right. all these different places. I th- 
I think so, yeah. you know. And but like not every but every path is the same for everybody, so you know. It is. And I like that. And mm-hmm. the pleasure, the life-changing thing for me is getting to hear this through your voice and getting to hear this through Seb's voice. Thanks. And Vance as well, mm-hmm. you know, and this inspires me and I hope if anything that you know you put your head down and you work for it that people can listen to that and say okay I'm I'm willing to do that too because mm-hmm. there's a hell of a lot of people that respect you I mean you lots of people showing up to these two days Yeah it's really you know? it's really really impressive I'm I'm flabbergasted <laughs> and but also very grateful for it you yeah. know um and I get to work with like two of my best friends in this industry sure. and I get to travel with them all around the country and it's like it's been really fun That's so cool and I'm, you know eternally grateful for the opportunity to uh, to be a part of this. So the two day, so it's the ultimate bartending championship, yes. right? Which yes. sounds like super tough and like like Charles Bronson gritty kind of thing, right? Yes. Like people pitted at each other in an <laughs> octagon kind of shit. But oh, so, we <laughs> should get an octagon for the next city, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Cage match. Yes, like penitentiary. Did you ever see that movie from the eighties? Yes. 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 Brawl, prison brawls, <laughs> dude. Oh man, but. Monday was the educational portion. Yes. You guys basically saying we've done a lot of stuff. We've really put in a lot of time. Here are some best practices. Is that ultimately what it is? In terms, there's also some quizzes too, right? There's uh, well, on the, on the second day when the, during the actual competition, there's yeah. a quiz. Oh, okay. and there's the mixiotic table which Dean Callen created, which is amazing. Uh, I almost swore on it. On, oh yeah, mixiotic. Oh, that's clever. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty impressive. I, I think it's really cool. Um, in the first day, which we didn't have necessarily last year, sure. first day last year was a uh, like a round robin type of conversation uh, with the, with myself and the other three judges, Chris yeah. Hanna, John Lamera, and and Ezra Starr, and we were asked questions by Seb, and we'd answer questions, and then you know people from the audience could ask questions, which which was great. It was a little loose, but it was great. Sure. I really enjoyed it. Um, but then what we found was during the actual competition, um, people were kind of flailing sometimes, particularly yeah. in a speed round. And, and, you know, of course we want to make it a good experience for the, for the people coming to compete yeah. and, and want to make it interesting for them. And, and it should be a learning experience as well. So we decided that we would, would try to do something this year on the first day where it would be more like an academy, like what we're calling it, the academy. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So that they can actually come to the competition and, and, and compete against each other, but also learn about things that they not necessarily learn from the people they're working with right. or from other parts of the world, right? Like how to... How to create a menu, how to build a menu that, that's, uh, that's very balanced, sure. you know, that expresses the creativity the bar itself has and finds that middle place where, they, where the guests can enjoy it as well. Right. So g- right? G- giving them more skills and ultimately. Right. Yeah. Giving them more tools. Mentoring. More man. skills, yeah. as they say, to pay the bills. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so that's been fun. And that's, I think it's shown, it's shown in, in, in today's competition. Yeah. I thought it showed, I thought it. People showed up and they were more excited. And I think that learning is really the ultimate goal for all the things that we're doing when it comes to competitions and sure. stuff, stuff like that. You know? And a proclivity towards wanting to be a professor at some point. This, in a sense, is a way for you to teach a class. Exactly. It? And I, I really enjoy teaching. Every time I teach, I learn something new as well. Yeah. But I really enjoy teaching, even though sometimes I don't feel like anybody needs to hear what I have to say. Right. You know? They just um, listen, though, anyway. But they do anyway, yeah. They yeah. just, like, <laughs> they patronize like, me a bit, you know, which is cool. <laughs> of course. Spitball now and again, you know? <laughs> Right. But, uh, um, but it was a lot of fun because it's, when you, when I did the, when I did my portion of the academy, which is a, a small, like, one-hour set on round building and how to approach, how to approach rounds when you're being called at from the guest or yeah. you're going to serve a ticket. What we, what we found last year was that in the speed round, um, a lot of bartenders weren't getting past that. They weren't, they were getting disqualified because they ran out of time 
or they couldn't finish all the drinks, you know, whatever. And I was like, okay. When I first came up, the first thing I learned how to do was work at service bar and learn how to read a ticket, right? You know, or read an order from from a guest because that's the only way you could be fast, you know, right. and how to categorize and organize that that order. And it seemed like the younger kids weren't really getting that taught to them or oh. getting that experience because in, it's the nature of like what's happening now in the barter stream, mixology and like all that stuff. They got their heads down and they're working on one drink at a time and and I've never worked that way. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you want to essentially if you want to make money, you gotta be fast and you gotta that's the way place I've always worked in. You have to Juggle, be fast, yeah. be good and get it done. And so I thought it'd be we all kind of came to the conclusion like they would talk about things that they're really good at and this is like one of my strengths or I feel like it's one of my strengths in relationship to the team that we're part of, mm. uh, the judging team. And we did kind of like a small 15-minute one in San Diego, our last city last year. And the next day when, they, when the competitors came in, I'd say like 90% of the competitors did well in the speed round, oh, whereas wow. the other cities, maybe one-third were doing well. And so we're like, yeah, let's apply this to next year. So I was able to do it, and everybody showed up today to, uh, to compete. And everybody, I'd say... 98% of the people, like, finish the round, yeah. garnishes and everything, you know, and it was, it was really cool to see. Oh, that's great. Really cool to see. So this education, this curriculum, in a sense, when, how, how long does it, from start, start to finish, how many cities does it incorporate? This year we're doing five cities. Five cities. So we're doing Austin. The next one is Denver. Then we do Seattle, um, Tampa, then Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah. Back to home. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. nice, right? It's going to be a trip to be back there in, yeah. in, that, in this regard. Because usually when I go back and visit, it's not, it hasn't had anything to do with my bartending. Right. I tend to stay away from the bars. I visit my family. I visit my friends. Um, I go and do those things. And so it's going to be a trip to go back there and uh, kind of come back home in a way. And that, nobody there knows who I am from, from L.A., from <laughs> right, being right. in Los Angeles, you know. And there's no reason why they should. Like, it's nice, though. But it's, it's going to be cool to go back and, and see uh, really – I kind of know what's going on in the scene there, and you know, to some degree, I have a lot of friends that, sure. that work in Los Angeles. But it's gonna be great to see, like, um, see how that city's changed, and really look at it. Because, like I said, I, when I go back and visit, I don't tend to visit the cocktail bars because yeah. I'm not there for work. I'm there to see my friends, my old friends, and that kind of thing. You know, it's great. I mean, yeah. you're on the roads. So you're touring. You're a touring actor, professor. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. this is a role that people would like love to fill. <laughs> As Vance is like nodding, he's like, yep, this is what I said. <laughs> he's not, I got the brilliant hat on, but I'm sure eventually I'll have yes. a brilliant hat on here. Yeah. So I got two questions left for you. Sure. And then we'll talk about Monkey Shoulders' involvement, the recent kind of shift in leadership, if you will, from Sub to Vance. We'll talk in a second. But you're at any bar in the world, and you can enjoy any cocktail, doesn't matter what, with it, and sit there and have a sip and a conversation with anybody living or deceased. Oh wow! That's an actor. Okay. Who might you love to just sit there and wax poetic with and have a conversation? That's tough. Of course, that's it's a tough, tough one, man. I'm not letting you get up that easy. Oh, well, it'd probably be drinking a Negroni or a Manhattan or a shot of tequila. Honestly, like I love making cocktails. Sure. And I like drinking cocktails, but I tend to stay with the classics. Yeah. Um, and that's a tough one. Okay, so who would it be? Wow. Like I'm immediately thinking Humphrey Bogart right now. Oh, <laughs> For man. some reason, or like Marlon Brando. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I could handle a conversation with Marlon Brando. To be perfectly honest well, with you, I think it'd be pretty intense. In light of other uh, news that came up, he may be like, "Let's yeah. go hang out some more in my hotel right? room." So then yeah. you might put you in a position. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I think <laughs> Humphrey Bogart, I think, would be killer to sit oh, and talk man. with. You know, um, just his like he wasn't 
much of a like character actor in any way. Is really kind of Humphrey Bogart, and yeah. from what I can tell, right? Um, in his performances, but I, it was just this like ease and style and coolness and like yeah. that I really liked. That I really like in his in his in his acting. So maybe Humphrey, maybe maybe James Dean. Oh. You know, maybe. Man, that's a hard one. Man. I know. I always thought I was thinking of, in the, not that no one asks me ever, right? Which is great. <laughs> but Lee Marvin always comes to mind. Lee Marvin would be pretty cool. I would right? be real afraid after, but I think once we got on the same level, if I was if I was still cognizant, mm-hmm. it would be great to hang out with Lee Marvin. You yeah. know, these tough guys like Bogart's the same way, but just not an action star, but a very very bold, stern mm-hmm. kind of austere looking. Definitely dude. a personality. Yeah, at the very it's least, amazing. You know, uh, Tom Hardy would be another one. Oh God, I almost respect what he does. He's a killer man. Love the, love the work he does. What's the um, man? What's the Ridley Scott? Benicio del Toro would be another one. I think it'd be really fun to hang out with. <laughs> man, see, this is a podcast on someone. Who would you drink with? <laughs> <laughs> Who would be the musician for you, though? Oh man, that's a t- right. Well, Jimi Hendrix. Like it's so difficult. I know Dave Bazan probably, okay. and that's is esoteric. But I know he can drink a bunch, mm-hmm. and he's still very pretty insightful. He's right. not that much older than me, so it's all right. All right, there you go. <laughs> So last question, you, sure. there's, there's this ornate monkey mixer that's been riding around Texas and I can't wait to take another picture of it. It was at Nickel City the other night. Mm-hmm. What, what's next for you guys? What city are you visiting next and what do you look to kind of give to the crowd, if you will? Um, the next city we visit is Denver. Denver. Okay, yeah. cool. I haven't been to Denver in quite a, quite a long time, so I'm really excited to see uh, the new bars that are there. Yeah. Um, American Bonded, Sean's new bar. Yeah. Sean's new bar. Um, and I haven't, haven't visited any of Sean's bars. Oh, so wow. I'm really excited to see both of them and see Sean yeah. here as well, you know, um, and hang out with him. And Seb's going to be there. Cool. So Seb's moving out to, uh, to Denver. So like Vance and Seb and I and like the team all get to hang, hang out. No way. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, no casualties, all right? <clears throat> let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so. Uh, so Denver's the next city. And, you know, we want to try to, like, we're going to bring some information and things are going to happen, I think, in all these different cities. Each city is going to have its, has its own dynamic going yeah. on. And the bartender is going to be strong in one sense and maybe not so strong in another sense. And so I think what's going to happen is we're going to bring, we're going to bring the information we have to bring and whatever they decide to take from that is really what they're going to decide to take. Yeah. You know, whatever they need to hear is what they're probably going to hear. Sure. That's, I hope, at least. You know? Much like yourself, right? You never know what that nugget is until you see it and like, then that's it. Yes, it changes the, yeah. the trajectory ever after. Yeah, because you know everybody's at a different level in their in yeah, their in their life right. and in their bartending, etc. So you know they're going to hear what we're going to throw a bunch of stuff at them, and they're going to hear what they need to hear. Yeah. Hopefully, you know what works for them. Yes. Well, Godspeed on the travels. It's Thank great you. to know that you're involved, and I I presume we'll see you next year as well. We'll have to Absol- hang out a little bit so. more. I hope now so. Now that I know that you're not one of those stuck-up actor types. <laughs> <laughs> Even if I wanted to be, I don't think I could be. You know, like. I mean, you know, it's hard to say. I've met some some, yeah, you know, some folks, but it was brilliant. I'm so glad you guys are in Austin. I'm glad that Ezra's back and Vance and yourself. And you know, Godspeed on the the tour. And tell Sean, hey, and I, you're gonna have a good time in Denver, man. Thank you so much Thank for having for me chatting. on the show, man. Was what, a, what, a, what a pleasure. Thank you. Sure. So here we are again, Vance. Just the two of us, almost a year in the almost making. Almost a year. Yeah, dude, Time Out Awards last year. Sure enough. Yeah, you made me a brilliant Jambui cocktail, you know. A yeah, that's when you s- made me a superstar. Yeah, that's right. Actually, you know what? I wasn't thinking about Instagram heavily, 
until you posted that picture. That was actually the reason I started the account. No shit. I never forget. I never forget where I came from. Yeah, Thank it was, you. You're, you're the inspiration, man. It's good. Now, endlessly, people are telling me, stop fucking posting pictures now. That's like, that's, so you might have actually unleashed, Pan, unleashed Pandora's box of trouble. Don't start none, won't we'll be none. <laughs> so there was this recent announcement, you know? Yeah. You, you had the community bracing themselves. It's like, is Vance going to leave? Mm. Is Vance going to have a kid? <laughs> is he running for public office in D.C.? Because we need him now more than ever. <sighs> no. Nope. Something greater than all of those things combined. Mm-hmm. So now you are the national ambassador that has usurped via mutiny. I'm kidding. Monkey shoulder, blended scotch. That's it. Our Shit. friend Seb used to be the guy. Yeah. He couldn't handle it. That's what I hear, right? He just, he just couldn't. He's too. He's getting older. I had to take him out, man. <laughs> it was just getting weird watching from you know the <laughs> land of you know Heather Honey. I was like, this something. Somebody's got to do something about this. Somebody guy. tell him he can't do this anymore. Yeah. I couldn't understand anything he was saying, which was really was getting. I was like, man, he's doing media. Like, what is he saying? <laughs> It's like, but they're just looking at him like he's so exotic. Obviously, we've got to listen to it him. It was the hair. It, it was, was the hair. hair. And I felt, truly and honestly, I felt like the brand needed someone that was bald. Like, sure. Didn't need this, like, golden distraction. Locks. Yeah. Yeah. It's a visual distraction. We want to focus on the juice itself. Yeah. This beautiful blended scotch at 43% ABV. I love the, the profile of this stuff. And it's a nice evolution for you, right? It's like going from playing the blues to playing jazz. Because you take this scotch liqueur and you evolve it. You have mm-hmm. a blend of scotches now on Monkey Shoulder. How do you feel about like just going further, deeper in to the scotch industry? I'm super excited about it. Um, you know, in my, my history of being a, a bartender and you know all of the other jobs and hats that I've, I've worn, scotch, I, I really never landed in that realm of whiskey. You know, I ran a rum bar yeah. for a, a lot of years. Then I ran two different uh, tequila bars and agave spirits. Never was whiskey, you know, a place where I landed. So, you know, having over the last you know few years moved into the brand world with a company, William Grant and Sons, which at its heart is a Scotch company. Yeah. It kind of grew on me clearly, you know, in regards of palate and being able to taste and to enjoy. But now being able to relish and live and to grow in this realm. And really begin to learn is super exciting because it's literally not just adding another notch to the belt, but it's expanding knowledge. Absolutely. And I love it. Very, very deep category. You've Absolutely. got some wonderful label mates via Glenn Fittick mm-hmm. and the Bobbany, right? So how do you sometimes blends get a bad rep? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know why, because they're meant to taste good. That's their whole purpose. But for you, when you're out in the market, and I know you've been doing this for just a short while now, but... How do you think the perception about blends is coming along? It's exploding this entire realm in and of itself. And with that explosion is taking all of these perceptions and kicking them out the window, busting them through the door. And it's really an awesome time for whiskey as a category right now, whether it's American whiskey and or scotch. It's just on fire right now. Uh, so the really beautiful thing is that uh, with Monkey Shoulder being where it is and really um, you know, putting a firm foundation in this whiskey world, we're doing something completely different. Yeah. You know, of course, being a blend, 
that's being put together by you know the phenomenal and outrageous and you know iconic you know Brian Kinsman himself. Yeah. Um, you know, and him creating and, and producing a liquid that, like most, but also unlike most, tastes number one tastes delicious. Sure. Um, that could be enjoyed neat or on the rocks, but beyond that, that should be used in so many different realms and places, uh, which almost kind of harkens back to where I started with Drambuie, yeah. with wanting to showcase the versatility of that particular spirit, which was known again for the iconic and delicious Rusty Nail, yeah. but to showcase that it could be used in so many different realms, you know, tiki, coffee, so forth and so on. Here we are with Monkey Shoulder, you know, blended malt whiskey, and saying, yes, it's absolutely amazing, neat, it's totally delicious on the rocks, but how about we put scotch in a tiki cocktail? Do you like kind of boldly pushing that perception and causing people to be slightly out of their element scotch cocktails? You have to because there's always, you know, there's that uh, element of stereotype. You know, when you think of scotch in a traditional sense, you think, you know, you know some old guy, sure. you know, with his cigar, you know, in a smoke-filled room. He's listening to whatever type of music he is. He's laughing it up with his chums, you know, all of that. And it's like, that's not it. You know, whiskey today Cocktails today, you know, are male, they're female, you know, the, the range and right. age, you know, it, it's, it's no, no limit other than, of course, being over 21 and drinking yeah. responsibly. Of uh, but course. beyond that, of <laughs> course, um, it, there's no face to it. And yeah. that's the beauty. So, you know, beyond there not being a necessary face to the consumer, there's no face to the cocktail itself yeah, that great. it has to be, you know, used in. So, again, like we said with coffee cocktails and tiki and beer cocktails you know it goes on and on your scotch and frozen cocktails of course oh yeah. it's amazing again making me wish i had a bottle right here by me we're gonna have to remedy that very soon but it's a delicious blend it's versatile mm-hmm. or versatile depending where you're from you got a big job ahead of you and one of the big facets of that job as an ambassador and in scotch is education you are here for your very first Ultimate Bartender Championship yes. here in Austin, Texas. You're the director. You're the figure, the figurehead. Man, they've kind of thrown me in there as the face. You just got like tossed into this whole thing. I, I'm trying to think of an example of a movie where a dude just gets tossed into battle. That's what happened. Yeah. You got some question. wounds. I see on your arm there's a couple wounds there. Yeah. <laughs> but how, how's, it, how's it been going as the face of Monkey Shoulder now? It's going absolutely amazing, to be, to be very honest. Um it's a brand that's on fire. We just talked about it being a category that's on fire, but it's also doing something that's not being done out there, you know, yeah. uh, you know, pushing the idea that you can and should play with your whiskey. Yeah. It's not, we are in no sense pretentious in any sense of, of the, the thought or the sure. idea. Uh, and again, to be used and to showcase its versatility in all of these different realms. So pairing that, that challenge and that goal you know, with all of these different, you know, amazing bartenders from all across the country, it's the perfect pairing. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of interesting without, you know, to come into something that's already established. You know, yeah. you've got these super, you know, heavyweight icons, you know, in Ezra Starr and Deb Johnson and, and John and Chris Bostic, and, you know, all of, you know, coming in to give their experience and their knowledge and all of their expertise and some people want to loop me in, and I'm sitting there, you know, at the bar, you know, <laughs> kicking my feet, just excited to be in the room because yeah. these are people that I've looked up to and that I, you know, hold a special place for them being able to teach me. You right. know, we always learn. 
So to be able to see, you know, the bartenders' faces light up when they get this information, and then to see Monkey Shoulder, you know, this, you know, this amazing liquid being used by these icons, but also it being used in all these different ways, sure. it just makes literally for a match made in heaven that's just pushing everything that we often say, which is like, play with your whiskey. See, you know, you should. You should play with your whiskey. Now, maybe you should do it privately. I don't know. But, well, you know, responsibly play. W- whether it's <laughs> private or whether it's in public, it should be responsibly. But in both places, why and not? And pleasure-inducing regardless of where it is. Mm-hmm. I shall. This enormous physical display of bravado that is the monkey mixer. Yes. I like it because it's like the Titanic, right? We're challenging both architectural boundaries and aesthetic ones. What the hell is the monkey mixer? Why is this riding around Texas? Is that, where Seb, is that where you buried Seb's body in the back? See, I can't tell you that. Ah, you know, they right. usually say, you know, if I tell you I have to kill you. I don't want that. I got stuff this evening. Yeah, stuff. you know, okay, but, you know, he's somewhere. <laughs> Maybe someone will find him. I don't know. You know, I think he's in the land of the unusual. Ah, that's fair. How about that? That's good. Terry Gilliam's Um, directing his ass right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, this beast of a machine, you know, that's got these huge rubber wheels. It's just taken over the road everywhere it goes. And it's impossible for it to be on the road and you not to catch this thing. It's absolutely outrageous, you know. It's gigantic. So, essentially, we took a... A concrete mixer, in, in essence, uh, and literally turned it into the monkey mixer. So, you know, where you would have the huge drum, we've made this huge cocktail shaker uh, that has a, a capacity of almost 12,000 bottles, if you think about it. So 2,400 gallons is really what it nets 2, out to be. 2,400. Wait, am I doing the math right? That's incredible. Oh, yeah. 2,400 gallons. 2,400. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that's the capacity of the drum. Now, we don't have it necessarily filled all with liquid because well, the cement you know, in Seb's body it takes a semantics, half of that. semantics, touche, <laughs> touche. Uh, but nevertheless, yeah, we've created this draft system where you know we can literally serve cocktails from this huge monkey mixer. It's outrageous. That's crazy. So I hear it's in Dallas today. Is it's that right? floating all over the place. I was just in town last week. Sorry, I missed you. Yeah. At uh, Austin Food and Wine, oh, that's right. we had it there. We served some amazing cocktails there. Uh, the mixed up monkey, which essentially is like a Collins, a little mint, club soda, yeah. scotch. A little lemon juice, delicious, easy, light, bright, and refreshing. Uh, and we served them straight off the draft there. And, you know, people and guests, you know, see it and they're just mesmerized because I think they just see the, the sun hitting like the, the bright, of yeah. you know, cocktail shaker just shining and spinning. And then when they move a little closer, like, well, we actually are serving cocktails from this. Like, ah, How do they stay cold, what? Vance? How do you keep those cold? Is it insulated? Yeah. Yeah, so we have a, a system where we keep it chilled down. I mean, I would have to show you. I mean, you literally have to see this Just thing. don't, like, I don't want to fate worse than Sebs. Don't, like, toss uh, me in there. No, 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 no. <laughs> and we'll do the private tour. Okay, no, no, see, that's what you we'll said to him. We'll do the private tour. Okay, all right. Yeah, well, fair. I did say that to him. <laughs> Man, you know all my secrets, brother. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's all good. But that is, a, that is a, an amazing, kind of like Barnum and Bailey style display. I mean, we have to disrupt. Yeah. You know, and again, this is a whiskey that disrupts. You know, we're talking about, you know, everything in the opposite direction of what you would think uh, in the traditional sense. You know, yeah. again, we're not, you, you, it's, again, you can have it neat or on the rocks. Yeah. 
but we're talking about whiskey on the beach. We're talking about you know whiskey cocktails for a happy hour. Yeah. You know, drinking whiskey cocktails for brunch, and you know, sitting on your back porch or at a barbecue, like all of these different realms and places that the traditional sense you wouldn't necessarily think of. Oh, I'm drinking a a pina colada, you know, with monkey shoulder scotch. Yeah. Or you know, I'm drinking a, a sangria or you know some other type of you know funky frozen you know yeah, drink. Yeah, you, you pick it a whole other way. Mm-hmm. Disrupt. You've got the brains for that. You've got the attitude that's embracing yet challenging. Right. This is the thing I think is really a, has to be a beautiful balance of both those things. You can have it traditionally if you want, but I also want to challenge you. And you're challenging us in the biggest, literally the biggest format <laughs> I've ever seen. So what's next then for you and this monkey mixer? So it's, uh, it's, it's been such a, an eye grabber and attention getter that it's just doing a huge loop up and down the West Coast, the Midwest, in and out. And I'm actually going to let you in a little secret. Yeah. I don't know if I should. I might get in trouble. That's fine. But you want to know? I don't want you to get. I'll, I've got one of those. You remember Scream? How it like distorts your voice? So I'll just do that and say it was dead. Marvelous. Are you ready? Yeah. We're creating another one. Is it? Where is that going to go? For you? Just like for you? We're creating another. Are one. you going to help? I'm going to leave thing? it at that. How about that? Is I'm going to leave your, it at that. This is your convoy to drive around. <laughs> we're creating another one. Wow. Um, so yeah, we've got that. So as for me, we're going to you know run one monkey mixer on the west. We're going to run one on the east. Have them flip all over the country. I'll continue on with the the bad monkeys with the academy that we've got. Yeah. The ultimate bartender uh, championship. We've got four more cities to go. Uh, this weekend was Austin. I believe we have uh, Seattle. I believe we have Los Angeles. We have Tampa. And Denver. And Denver. Man. That's what we've got. Thank and then we've got a distortion tour getting ready to come. It's like so much going on on this brand. Yeah. It's, it's mixed up. It's mixed up monkey. Oh, that's you know? good. That's clever. I try, man. <laughs> that's monkey business for you. <laughs> Vance, always good seeing you, man. Pleasure is always mine, brother. Certainly have to sip some more monkey shoulder. I mean, it's, you know, it's one of these things. I talked to him. We can go do that right now. Don't I, even think about it. It's, it's happening. That's right. It is fate. When you get your CDL to drive that other monkey mixer, just take a lot of pictures, will you? You know, I think I would. I don't even think they would want me to have you know, my CDL to drive the thing. <laughs> I just imagine this conductor hat. I don't know why. I just imagine you being a really good conductor of a big, large motor vehicle. That's another conversation, brother. I think it is. Vance, I hope you enjoy the rest of stay in Austin. Always. And you and the some team, barbecue, man. You and the, the monkeys, you enjoy Denver, Tampa, Los Angeles, Seattle, and so much more. Always, brother. Thanks, dude. Indeed. Talk to you soon. Well, there we have it. Mr. Dev Johnson from Employees Only and Vance Henderson of Monkey Shoulder Blended Scotch. Two veterans, two amazing personalities, great guys to sit down and chat with. You know, Vance being the enormously big and friendly MC. Dev being more cerebral and actually academic in a lot of ways and just a general compassionate person, someone that I would love to sit down and spend more time with. You know, I, I think about these conversations a bit and for me, I'm you know, in full disclosure, I'm not behind the bar. I spent a lot of time in bars and I've been in different parts of this industry, but it I've learned so much. If I wanted to be a bartender, if I wanted to be a business owner, again, I've learned so much from these conversations. And I hope that in some respect, you know, besides just hearing these nice little conversations with people you may know, may have heard of, maybe they're mates of yours, that there are some other learning takeaways or some education opportunities and it helps you be a better person, perhaps. 
maybe be a better employee or just aspire to do something new and different and to learn more about the things around you. So many resources. And I hope this serves as one nice, friendly resource for anyone in the industry and consumers alike. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how you felt about Widows, if it was too slow or really was not what people claim to be the female version of Heat, both great movies in their own right. Or if you're thinking, man, Christmas is coming up. It's probably less than 20 or something days. Now, geez, what am I going to do? Please keep dancing.